let's get the recording started and we're gonna be ready to go this morning now i'm gonna pick up from where i left off uh two weeks ago because last week miss tammy clark got on and she broke down the book club call and um but i hadn't finished the week before the um because we wrapping up the book and remember i stumbled across this on on uh, the internet uh i just out there you know searching and it was 10 lessons i learned from the psychology of money i'll post this in the leak team site too as soon as i finish leak team page 10 lessons i learned from the psychology of money that changed the way i view finances forever now i went through i went through three i think the first one was every every decision we make with money is justified by taking information we have at that moment and plug it into our unique mental model of how the world works information we had we have at that moment so think about it we grew up in a poor middle class neighborhood the information that we had on money had to come from my pastor from our parents from our school teachers because in school we didn't have any information on money and how money works they didn't even talk talk about it somebody says well at my school they did nah. no 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 not how it works what they did was show us how to work <laughs> to get it, but now how it works. So it says the world is full of, full of obvious things which nobody, which nobody by any chance observes. So we see the things in the world. We don't observe them because nobody's talking about them. And they are talking about it, you know, from our neighborhoods. It was more of a uh, money is evil and rich people are, are crooked. And uh, because I know some people say, well, they ain't say that. And yeah, okay, well, usually when you don't have money, most of the time, you have to justify why you don't have it. And so in the, in the neighborhoods, we say money ain't everything. That's because we don't have it. <laughs> So you make yourself feel good by doing that. Or you watch movies on television where you see all the uh, guys with money being cricket and evil and robbing people and they got damn mobs and stuff. And so we sit back and say, see, we don't want to be like that. You rarely ever saw somebody who had money that was a good person, a decent person. You know, maybe Bill Cosby. Well, on television. <laughs> I digress. I didn't mean to say that. But maybe, yes, I did. But I shouldn't have said it. Bill Cosby on television was a, you know, good guy. But he really wasn't super wealthy. He was he was a doctor. I think his wife was a doctor too, right? Um, you know, um, maybe Oprah. But besides that, most other people we saw you know, like the Rockefellers or, you know, um, J.R. Ewan on television. You know, he was crooked. So we looked at that and said, see, I don't want to be like that. So I just won't have no money. I'm going to be a good person. But I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't spend money on my kids and nothing like that because, you know, it's bad for you. So we looked at different ways i mean we looked at money differently um 
And if you've been a part of our book club and been a part of the mindset stuff over the years, if you stayed a part of it, you have to be changing those thoughts. You have to be changing those things that are buried on the inside of us because we confuse moving on in life as changing those thoughts. We confuse getting a new house and all that as my thoughts have been changed. No, they haven't. They still buried deep down inside. You got to pull them up and question them. You you pull them up and you say, are rich people, are all rich people evil? Then you say, no, they're not. It's some good rich people out here. So then you start thinking, maybe I can be one. I can, you know, I can, because I didn't want to be one because they were evil. You know, they, they were evil. Those folks ain't, you know. So that was a thought process. The second thing we talked about, be careful of who you praise and admire because who you look down upon and wish to avoid becoming. You got to watch that because anything could happen. Number three, have it enough. We talked about that. And I love the story that the uh, party that was given by the billionaire on, uh, what was that island called? Shelter, Shelter Island, uh, I think. Let me see, hold on. <clears throat> yeah, it was called Shelter Island. Um, this rich guy informs Powell Joseph Heller that their host, a hedge fund manager, has made more money in a single day than he's earned from his novel that he had written over its history of time. And then, man, that book you that book you wrote, man, that thing. What you made from that book? See that dude over there in the corner? Powell Joseph Heller? He's made more than you made the whole time with your book. <clears throat> and he made out, he made that in one day. But dude responds to him and says, yes, but I have something that he would never have. And the guy says, what? He says, enough. See, I have enough. I don't have to keep getting and getting and getting and getting and getting. I have enough. That shocked my man. It's like, never heard that. But, you know, you get to a point, you have enough. You don't have to keep chasing and trying to get it. Now, a lot of us give up early and use that for excuse. You know, we work in a job and I got enough. No, you don't have enough because you got to get up every day. So you don't have enough. Now, we also talked about, well, that was number three. So let's talk about number four now. Compound interest is a mighty force. The first I learned about compound interest at 16 years old, he said, my math teacher passionately explained to my math class, but I couldn't care less. Then at 19, my economics teacher spoke about compound interest. He passionately implored us to invest at the very least in mutual funds and wait until we were age, blah, 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 to see results i didn't care y'all know about my mutual fund story right i'll tell it again if you you never heard it <clears throat> started a business the guy says go get a a mutual fund had never heard one so i ran down to the bank because that's what you do ran out to the bank and i got me a mutual fund and i saw him the next day i said i got a mutual fund he says what now it was 30 40 people in the in the class and none of them got a mutual fund so he says where'd you get it from i said the bank he said, oh, God. I said, what's wrong? 
said, I ain't want you to go to the bank. They charge too many fees. They got all, I was like, oh. He said, well, I had to give you credit for at least jumping to go do it. And then he told me where to go. He said, I think it was T. Rowe Price. He says, go there and you can get, you know, you can get, you know, the bank going to charge you fees. He said, I bet they were smiling when you walked in there. I said, yep. And they were smiling when you left. Yep. Because I just ran out. I didn't get more detail. I just took off running to go get a mutual fund. He said, get one. But now this guy says, at 39, I see the wisdom in both those teachers' advice. If I had invested at 19 over 20 years, there's a strong likelihood I would have been more financially sound. And see, that's how you have to almost force a child or do it for them at 19 because they're not hearing anything at 19. They're not hearing. They're just thinking about the party. And if you're a dude, you think about more than the party. If you was a young man, those thoughts go for a long time. So you almost have to do it for them. But the book also mentions Warren Buffett investment success. You know, um, and he's been investing for decades. However, so suppose you compared yourself to Buffett or Jim Simmons, the founder of Renaissance Technology, a hedge fund. In that case, Simmons is technically the better investor because he started his in his 50s and became insanely wealthy. However, Buffett is known as the legend of the compound interest. Decades was an advantage because he had started early. But you know, you know, it's been said that Buffett made most of his money after 50. But he had already been investing more. So compound interest, that means getting started early on whatever investment you have. You want to stay away from the banks. To, well, if you have to, until you want to find something that'll give you a high interest. And if you start looking at it's basically how long that money has been sitting there and what they're doing with it. Because all they're doing is taking it as soon as you put it in that fund. They go in there and get it and run down and buy some real estate with it. <clears throat> then you pay you from there. They think that you're not smart enough to do that on your own. No, they'll think that we are not smart enough. So we're going to put a bank on every corner so you can bring your money in here. Because remember, it's safe, they said. So bring it in here to us intelligent people, and then we'll go do that. But, again, if you're getting some compound interest that's decent, okay, that's cool, because most of us haven't been trained to know how to do that, so that's a good thing. All right, number five, planning is essential, but the most important part of every plan is to plan on a plan, not going according to plan. Man, you know, we've listened to, that clip from the late great Nipsey Hussle, and he talked about that. He says, you know, be prepared to whatever your plan is and goal that it might take double that time. So if you say you want to be, you know, at 10,000 a month in two years, it might take four. So in the book, they says, uh, is to plan on a plan, not going, not going according to plan. Because you never know what will happen. You have, you know, the hiccups, you have all kinds of issues that happen. You might have tried to take the money out. You know how you put it in investment, then next thing you know, you got to take it back out and put it somewhere else to pay a bill. And <laughs> like me and my partner did with <laughs> AT&T. We got our check initially 
that's before I start making a lot of money. But initially, you know, we'll let the them take some out and put it in our account, you know. But by the end of the month, we didn't call and got that. <laughs> the people knew us there. They like, I don't even know why you're taking this money out because you know you're gonna call at the end of the money and get it back. <laughs> well, we felt like we was doing something. So, but you got to put it somewhere and let it sit. You can't just snatch it, you know. So, um, but you got to plan on that. Other things are gonna happen on those plans. All right. So. Number six, you could be wrong half the time and still make a fortune. Here's the thing about luck. You don't know if it's good or bad until you have some perspective. Alice Hoffman. He says, usually when you hear finance experts speak, you assume that they know what they're doing. But there's a good chance they may not. You cannot predict how the market may go, even on a good day, but it doesn't stop them from making money. Warren Buffett once mentioned in a shareholders annual meeting that many of his investments didn't work out. However, the few that did well paid for all the bad assets. So he keeps investing. Now think about that. Think about what he just said. He said, he said that most of them didn't work out. Hold on. Did he say that? Let's see. Uh, you cannot predict in the market. Go. Warren Buffett once mentioned shareholders meeting that many, not most, but many of his investments didn't work out. However, the few that did well paid for the bad assets, so he keeps investing. Think about this. Some of y'all have tried businesses, started businesses, and I always say, and they didn't work out. But here's the key. All you need is for one to work out. <laughs> and when that one works out, it, it, it covers a multitude of, of, of sins and problems that you had before that because see when that one work out for you then all your, your all your neighbors and all the negative folks they forget that and they like yeah man look at lavanda she got this money now boy she rolling 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 that's the expert that they got it she got it going on <laughs> but they don't look at all other mistakes, all the problems that were spent, all the money that was wasted, all the sleepless nights that went on and how people laughed and talked. That, like You just got to win one time. Warren Buffett said the ones that do win, they uh, override all the ones they lost. So keep grinding. Now, he says, how did this lesson change my, my view of finances forever? He says, the lesson taught me to play the long game. Play the long game. Like Nipsey says, what, what was uh, the marathon? I hate that man life was taken like that. If y'all only knew how brilliant he was, I'm even not even talking about in his hip hop um, career, just his thought process. Snatched at an early age. But he says, reminded me of a, a lesson uh, in content creation. As long as you consistently put out material, you have a better chance of a few pieces of content doing well. Just don't stop. You know, you hear that all the time uh, from like Gary V talks about, man, you got to post every day. You got to post videos every day. You got to post content. It don't have to be videos. It can be whatever you're good at or you feel like you're good at. If you are po uh, posting, I don't know, uh, Let's do videos or audios or just content 
You have to go with it. You can't keep putting it out. Think about music. Uh, just think about musicians or hip hop artists. And, uh, they in the studio all the time, making song after song after song after song after song. They might have 100 songs they created. And 98 might be awful. <laughs> but if two of them hit, oh, man, you're a bad man. Look, if you have two hits in your career, you can live off of that for the rest of your life. You can go on tour for the rest of your life with two hits. It was somebody I saw the other day, and I thought about it. I said, no, they still on tour, yeah. But they had two mega hits. So fans go out just to hear that, take them back to their memories, and then they play all the other stuff, or they might even sing somebody else's songs. But two hits will take you around the world. But you might have to take... You know, might have to create, you might have to do, go through 150 songs, 200 to get it. <laughs> Unless you hove. <laughs> One take hove. Unless you that. He can go in there and just, he said, just the sound of my voice is a hit. <laughs> just the sound of my voice is a hit. Now, everybody, everybody don't have that. As long as you can consistently put out material you have a better chance of a few pieces of content doing well. Just don't stop. Here, see, we put out a few material. Nobody like it. Nobody says anything. We put out a few more. Nobody says anything. We post a little bit more. Nobody says anything. We quit. We stop. They don't like my stuff. They ain't nobody seen it. Well, the problem is the algorithms, the Facebook and Instagram ain't showing your stuff. It ain't like it used to be when you post something and you had 5,000 friends and they saw it. You post something now with my 5,000 friends, I think about 10 of y'all will see it. <laughs> because they want you to pay for ads now. Now, now if you tag 100 people, which most people need to do when you post, just tag 100 people then you can get that rhythm going. But if you just posted and you got a lot of friends and you're wondering, are they ignoring me or something? No, that, a lot of them are not even seeing it. That, that They're not even seeing it. So don't concern yourself with that. Just keep posting. All right, number eight. One of the most potent ways to increase your savings isn't to raise your income, but to raise your humility. Man, watch this here. I remember reading that in the book. See, what we're doing, I'm just taking 10 things from the book. But he says in there, this one cuts to the core. He said, there was times I could have cashed in on opportunities, but I thought I deserved to have a higher stake in the opportunity. Oh, you just want to give me a little bit. I can't get cutting in on it. You know, I think about, um, you got to be a hip hop person to understand this. But I think, Okay, Jazzo is the guy that Jay-Z kind of learned under. Jazzo was his boy. Jazzo, Jay-Z went to London with him and, you know, turned him turned him on to a lot of things in hip-hop that made him want to stop doing the illegal stuff and just go into music. So he goes into music, and he just naturally better than Jazzo. That's just how it is, even though he was your, you know. Like I tell people, it's a young lady I know on our team that's naturally better than me but she won't, you know, <laughs> I'll leave that alone. But 
So Jay-Z took off. He put a contract together for Jazz O. Jazz O looked at the contract and laughed at it and tore it up because he was his mentor. And now you got your mentee creating something to give to you. And he felt like it was disrespect because it wasn't a lot of money. But what Jay was saying, look, this is all we got right now. You can, if you start right now with this, and then later on, as we grow, you grow. As we grow, you go. We do songs together. We do this together. And but his humility was so I can't deal with that, man. You know, I'm I'm his mentor. I took him around and, you know, but I remember when Big Daddy Kane said he heard both of them. He's like, man, I like the, that light skin. I like that light skin guy better than <laughs> better than Jazz O. And that was Jay-Z. And that's why, you know, Big Daddy Kane would go on concerts and let when he wouldn't change clothes, because Daddy Kane changed clothes about three times. He would let Jay-Z be on stage rapping. So he got a lot of recognition that way. But Jazz O was too arrogant. He felt like he needed more in that in that deal at the time. And if you talk to him now, I saw an interview with him about two months ago, and he said, you know, in hindsight, I should have took it because I could have grew when they grew. You know, he wouldn't be a billionaire now probably, but he'll be a multimillionaire because Jazz O now, he's selling T-shirts in the hood. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your mentee is a billionaire and you selling T-shirts in the hood because of your lack of humility? Like the guy says here, I wasn't arrogant about it. It's just some jobs I wasn't going to do because I felt like they should pay me more. And I tell people now all the time, man, if you can get an intern or something around people, and you might be working a job, but you can get an intern and work for free to be around folks in here, man, you better get around them. He says, now how has this lesson changed my view of finances forever? He said, ego can be the enemy because you feel you deserve to have all the accolades. Now, some people in our business, that's what they want to hear. They'd rather have the accolades than the money. Ooh, that's what he just said. He said, ego can be the enemy because you feel you deserve to have all the accolades instead of being financially prudent. In the future, taking the ego out of my decisions will be wiser mainly if it results in completing a long-term goal. You know, I took the ego out a long time ago. Now, I think also it might have killed me financially as for building because I don't have that, you know, I got to beat you. Because the people who win have that. And I, I'm, you know, I could see it in them. It's like they can't sleep unless they beating you. And, you know, that's a good, I, I think, you know, that was Jay-Z thing. He's like, man, he ain't better than me. I remember, <laughs> I think him and DMX was going at, he was talking about, uh, or even Biggie said that. They ain't better than me. See, I, I don't have that kind of fight in me. My fight is to help you change your mindset. That's, that's my fight every day. It's like that. But some people have this insatiable thing that I gotta be. 
number one. And that and those are the ones who kind of win like that. Now, there's a lot of damage come with that. You know, you saw the Michael Jordan documentary. What he called it, The Last Dance. That was no last, that was Michael Jordan documentary. That's what he should have said. <laughs> All right, number nine. Truth, wealth is what you don't see. I'm sorry, not truth. True wealth. You know, have you seen that picture of Warren Buffett and uh, Bill Gates standing there? <laughs> and they have on them uh, $15 shirts and slacks with no Gucci belt and no gator shoes and all. They'd be like, <laughs> see, true wealth is what you don't see. When someone tells you advice, they may not know what's best for you. He says, we all see massive spending daily. Take a tour through social media feeds, you know. <laughs> look at the Ferraris out there on Instagram. You know, look at all the cash on display. You know, they got cash out. You land it all on top of the bed and, and people be, ooh, look at that money. Now, all they did was take their rent money and take it out and put it on the bed. And then they take it back and put it in the bank. <laughs> people living their best life. <clears throat> One can quickly feel like a pizza. He says, H-I-T, if you compare yourself to that stuff on the ground and on social media. However, what you don't see is the truth. Whether they are renting luxury items. I tell people that all the time. And folks, I know, well, one, one or two or three particular people, Tony, they can't be doing that. Yes, they are. No, because see, they already making this. They are, see, what you think, that you know what you won't do, you think the other person won't do. <clears throat> just because I just because I won't get out there and fake the funk, it's a lot of people will. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> you gotta be hip hop to know that. You're faking the funk. It's a lot of them out there, boy, on social media. I can see it when I go to their page. I see stuff that most people don't see. You know, if you, if you really want to believe it, you don't see it. But I can go and see, oh, he rented that. I can see how he faked because he got that camera with him all the time. He said this, he said he got people believing he's doing this. He got this money twist. And I say, that ain't real. And they say, oh, you a hater. You just a hater, Tony. No, I've seen it before. I know how people rent stuff to go on. On, on social media to show it. He says, however, what you don't see is the truth. Whether they are renting luxury items or how many years of work they put into it actually to afford those items. So, so let's just say those items are real. Let's say that stuff is real. But you don't know the 25 years that they've been grinding all their life or 30 years or whatever or, you know, maybe some illegal activity they did to get it. You don't know that. You just see it. And then you call around. Just a lot of people call me. When I'm going to have that? When can we get that? Why you don't have that? <laughs> he says, this lesson changed my view of finances forever. He said, modern capitalism makes helping people fake until they make it cherished in the industry. That's why there's so much flossing on the ground. Now, see, I'm not making this up. I've been saying this for years. Now is in the book. You got the white, I mean, you got Bob saying it in the book. 
So y'all don't believe Tony when Tony says it, he just hating. But Bob in the book is saying it. This Bob, Bob, Bob is saying it. Bob says a lot of flossing on the ground. And you call me, that ain't true, Tony. You just hate. Them folks, they can do that. Them folks are buying all these Bentleys and they got all this stuff in. I, they show them at the dealership. They can do all that. He said, from now on, I won't get lured by people display of wealth. I would be more concerned with what they did to earn the wealth and see how I can apply those principles. No one is impressed with your possessions much as you are, as they don't mean S-H-I-T if you have to sell them. Woo. All right, let <laughs> me crank up number 10 and we can, we can do some mystery voices. The good rule of thumb in life is everything that can break will eventually break and avoid the single points of failure. How this lesson changed my view forever. The rule is necessary for our lives here. If you have only one source of income right now, you are a you are looking at a catastrophe. I always say, if you got one source of income and that one source is your job, you're a time bomb ticket. You got to have other things because they can walk in there tomorrow and say, Kesara, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. <laughs> your future is not mine to see. Kesara, Sarah. They <laughs> said, uh, don't touch that computer. And Frank, the security guard, about to walk you out of here. Now, if you don't have nothing else to bag that up, you're going to, you know, you got to go get some pills from the doctor because you stressed. He said people working for a long time weren't anymore and those without other income face financial calamity. The companies that flourished were e-commerce and specific essential services. So important lesson as we advance to diversify your income streams and your skill as your skill skill set ASAP. All right, I'm done with that. We're done with the book. We're done with the psychology of money. Next Saturday, we starting with the 10 distinctions between millionaires and the middle class. The 10 distinctions between millionaires and the middle class by Keith Cameron Smith. Make sure you look for Keith Cameron Smith because I'm sure there's a bunch of this, you know, distinct, you know, I mean, uh, there's a bunch of distinctions uh, out here on millionaires and middle class. They probably name it a little differently, but look for Keith Cameron Smith. And that's what we're going to start with next week.